Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hold up your Bible. Say it like you mean it. This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what it says I can do. Then I can actually claim somebody that doesn't believe, and there's no way for them to get out of it. Now, just in case you're going to say, oh, don't tell me this is a name it, claim it message. God's saying the same thing to us. I'm going to do exactly what you've been saying. Not everything that comes at us is God's will. We have confusion. One of our biggest areas of confusion in the church is concerning the sovereignty of God. We know that God is all-powerful. We know that, that He is in charge of everything. But with that, we make a mistake in thinking He is in control of everything. Hey everyone, welcome back to The Roundtable. This is episode four of The Roundtable. Um, Nick from Christ is the Cure with Alex and Paul from Undying Light with a special guest, Jason from Daily Reformation Podcast. Uh, for those of y'all who listen to my show, there will not be an episode next week. I'm taking the week off, and this will be the last roundtable because Alex and Paul have gotten a deal with Bethel TV and TBN, so they're going to be going off to bigger and better things. Isn't that right, guys? Yeah, it is. Yes. Yes, we are very excited to announce this. Um, also, you can still buy your uh, Apostle certifications. Uh, now it has Lola. the Bethel <clears throat> Supernatural School of Ministry stamp on it. Stamped right on it. Yeah. Unfortunately, we have to up the charge because we are now popular. Um, so it's going to be a thousand dollars just. It already to get was in. that. Now it's oh, two. Two thousand dollars. You yeah. see, we just there raised it again. So there you go. Y'all, y'all also offer indulgences, if I'm not mistaken. Now, right? Yes. If you need to get into heaven, we have ways to get you into heaven. <laughs> <laughs> Whenever a coin hits the bottom of the, <laughs> the, the coffer, <laughs> yeah, there you go. Just remember, with every seed you sow, you always get double back. Um, Jason, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, for sure. Thanks so much for having me, Nick. My name is Jason. I have a podcast called Daily Reformation. I've been blessed with that opportunity. And um, as I said, yeah, I'm grateful to be on the show. I've connected with you guys on Instagram, and that's how I met you. And it's just a pleasure to have brothers in Christ I can just talk about theology with. and But yeah, grateful to be here and excited to talk about, excited to crush some heretics, as Alex likes to say. <laughs> crush them. 
There we go. Gently, though. I mean, we got to do this in love. Lovingly. So. You gentle, yeah, like like crushing beans for coffee. Nice and gentle. Yes, exactly. And then drink it. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> You're going to die, though, if you drink that. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Well, That'd be what not is that? what we advise you. Chew the meat, spit out the bones kind of thing. Mm, delicious. <laughs> um, so we have... Plenty of questions that were thrown at us, and we'll juggle those around. We'll each select one and all that. Before that, though, we wanted to talk about reverence to Scripture. Um, we saw a post that was brought to our attention the other day where an individual, without giving it completely away, basically said, insert this silly word into Scripture um, as, as a game to play with Scripture. Does anyone have any initial thoughts on that situation? I, I know that Alex and Paul are aware of it. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if Jason got the jump on that one. No, I haven't heard of that, but I can just tell you right now, we're not supposed to be playing games with Scripture. Yeah. Well, what do you think, uh, yeah, that's... Alex or Paul? Alex, um, you know, I, I think what it is, I, I, I'm going to play, I'm, I'm going to look at it from a, from a, from an outside perspective, I'm going to give you my opinion, but um, I can see that this person's viewpoint that it's uh, quote unquote just a game and that we are supposed to have fun and enjoy um, our commune with with Christ. Um, and, and I think it's a way to maybe um, his claim is that it's a way to maybe facilitate some scripture memorization. Um but now I'm going to give you my opinion, and I'm going to say that's just a bunch of malarkey, um, because you're not facilitating anything when you remove words from God's holy word. Uh, the Bible is given to us in a very specific manner that we should not add or take away anything to this book. Um, my my whole standing is is I can look back at Paul, um, Peter. And even Christ, who taught from the Old Testament when he was teaching. And then you look through all of the church history and all the church fathers and how much reverence they had for the Scripture and how dearly they held to it. For them to play games with it would be an insult not only to the Bible, but to Christ and to all of the church. And... Uh, I feel like that is completely missing, not only just in this one isolated situation, but in the church as a whole today. I think that the Word of God has been greatly um, downplayed in its uh, importance. Yeah. You got anything for that one, Paul? Yeah. I'd like to approach it in another way, though, because I do believe it is uh, a mockery, and it could even be blasphemous. But this person specifically, um, he's a nice guy. I've, I've talked with him. I know that you have also, Nick, and, and also Alex. Mm-hmm. Um, he has a big following. And what I'd like to say about that is um, Romans 14 and 1 Corinthians 9. What if someone looks up to him, and I know that a lot of people do, and their conscience is bothered by that? What example is he setting for those people? Are, are, are their consciences being um, violated in some way or are, are they being bothered by that? Or even they could even uh, follow his example and, and also do 
these jokes around scripture. And there's another um, Instagram profile that goes by the name of funny, funny Bible memes, I think it is. Yeah. Or verses. I think that page is blasphemous. Like just changing words to make jokes and to make people laugh. Um, I, I believe the world already mocks scripture enough. So and for Christians to do the same, even even though if it's in an, in an um, innocent kind of way, it's not innocent. I, I, I just think we, we should not do that and pay the utmost respect to scripture, as Alex well said. Yeah, uh, I had, well, he had that follow-up post too about how um, how he recognizes that people don't take scripture seriously and that that recognition within itself it begs the question of well why would you encourage or facilitate playing games with scripture and he said he took scripture very seriously um but at the same time the individual called out memes for being shallow and i don't know how that would be seen another way i think it's disrespectful obviously to the understanding that we have god's word and the fact that we're told to handle it properly and to take it seriously uh, and I think it's also disrespectful for all the people that worked hard and were martyred for translating and copying and giving it to us in our day-to-day lives. Uh, they worked hard to preserve it the way it was, and to just treat it like some game, I think, is really just yeah. disrespectful to the entire Christian community. Yeah. You, you know, know what? I, I just can't imagine <clears throat> Moses or Elijah or Isaiah or Jesus or any of the apostles using Scripture in that way. So yeah. why should we? Right. He um, He used a whenever I discussed it with him, he used a text from Paul where Paul uses hyperbolic statements from scripture. Um, and he's like, well, Paul didn't have a problem using scripture sarcastically. I was like, well, but that's not playing games with scripture. That's using scripture in a way that gets your point across. Mm-hmm. Right. I think it's a whole different category. And I, um, I think it does really, it doesn't encourage more seriousness of scripture in any shape or form. And the uh-huh. thing that the thing that bugs me too is all of the responses that he reposted. I mean, how many people didn't question it more? Like how many I mean, he had a handful, he probably had twenty, maybe fifteen or twenty responses that he put up in his story. Yeah. And then he only says, Well, only two or three individuals called me out for it. You know, and you've got eight thousand plus followers and, Well, by the accusation of two or three, that's enough and, and yeah. Of, of scripture itself oh absolutely i totally agree with that and well, i i guess what's just uh maybe mind-boggling to me is, is why didn't more people see this as insulted towards scripture right you know why are people just oh this is fun i'm gonna remove all these words and put pizza in there yeah because well whatever is funny in today's culture is acceptable basically. yeah i know yeah well it's true and what was also kind of silly about the whole situation was that he had said that some people found it offensive, but it's not. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, <laughs> but if it offends you or if it offends someone, it's offensive. <laughs> yeah. And there is something to be said about silly accusations that have no warrant, but whenever several individuals bring it up to you and you yeah. blow them off and just find things that are self-affirming, that, that's a sign that something's wrong. And I think we, that, that's a problem, obviously. Yeah. I agree. Um, another one that we kind of wanted to briefly mention, I know Paul wanted to talk about it, was making jokes about... Uh, well, do you want to talk about it? Yeah, sure. Uh, so there's this person, 
which I am going to name because he was extremely uh, disrespectful. Uh, he goes, I think he has three or four accounts. He just keeps making new ones. I don't know why. His latest one was Calvinist conservative. And the one that he has now is reformed conservative. Uh, he put up a post um, about someone painting um, uh, an atomic explosion on Hiroshima, on, on Japan. Uh, the ones that ended um, World War II. And then he puts a meme. Everybody needs a friend. And he paints another nuke uh, on Nagasaki. Yeah. And people were actually laughing at that. So I, I called him out in the comments. And he started mocking me. And then for this episode of the roundtable, I put up a, a Q&A. And he actually left me three, which I, I just thought that was the, the cherry on top of the cake. The first one was... Um, Twice, because we did Nagasaki and Hiroshima. And then he replied twice again, kaboom, with a nuclear sign and a bomb, and then kaboom with a question sign and uh, the nuclear and the bomb again. Yeah. Uh, he then blocked me when I tried to reason with him. He, he prefers to remain anonymous because the memes that he makes are absolutely, they're horrible. He had another one that, that really bothered a friend of ours who was a Muslim. Uh, in which he called uh, a turban something to cover the, the, the crap that's in your mind, basically, wow. with other more explicit words. He took that one down, but he didn't take this one down that, that literally mocks hundreds of thousands of people that were killed or affected by two atomic explosions. And he said that he would have thrown even five or six atomic bombs to them if it would have made them stop and humiliate themselves. Yeah. Yeah, he, he actually left uh, the same thing in my Q&A box, but since he blocked me, I just left one comment on his post. I said, um, yeah, because laughing at thousands of deaths is what Christ would do, and he just blocked me. That is me. shameful, yeah. shameful. Yeah. Uh, I imagine there would be some words for, for him over that. Yeah, he blocked me after one. I don't remember what I said, but he was, I called him out for it, and it was right when you were debating him, Paul, and, and then... Uh, he just straight up blocked me. So, and he's not a kid. He's twenty four. So, yeah, of course, yeah. And it's just like, in, in what world is for a Christian is that acceptable? Like, yeah, I actually told him that why why not mock the Holocaust? Yeah, and he had no response. Yeah. Mm hmm. So, got any thoughts on that, Jason? Well, I mean, to to a certain extent, there's obviously a place for humor. But when you get just so, you know, provocative just for the sake of being provocative, there's no reverence for that which is sacred, no reverence for the Bible, God's word, no reverence for God. You just, there's really no justification for that as a Christian. And that's really all I had to say on that because, I mean, there's so many examples of people who, in the name of free speech, just, I mean, obviously we have free speech and we thank God for that, but, you know, we act like we can just use that as an excuse to not be more careful with the words we say as Christians. The, you know, the tongue is a world of fire, it says in James. So we've got to be careful. Yeah. Yep. That's exactly right. And uh, we, we live in a culture where it's, it's fun to just offend. And I think, honestly, we, I, I know I kind of disagree here and there with that, but that's kind of like the way a lot of meme culture is. And there's some good ones that are funny and they're, and they're solid, but a lot of them are shallow and misrepresent positions and, it just causes more issues, but there's a lot that can be said on that kind of stuff. 
Mm-hmm. So, who wants to pick the first question we got? Alex does. All right, Alex does. Okay. Um, <laughs> this is my... F- this is an interesting one because this seems to be at the peak of popular Christianity. Ooh. What do you what do you say to those who say that it's not religion, it's a relationship? That it's a religion. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it has rituals. Easy. It has structure. It has a body. It has a book. Jesus You're was worshiping. Re- Jesus was religious. <laughs> just just yeah. throwing that out there. Yeah, that's one of the weird that's one of the weirdest things. Like there is there is wrong religion, obviously, and there is yeah. good religion. I mean, even James talks about religion being pure. Uh and it all comes from worshiping the true God in the way that he desires. I don't really know what else I could possibly say on that one. What do you I don't even know what to add to that. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's really straightforward. Yeah. Really, it's just like a hyper-spiritualization of Christianity in some senses. Yeah, it's, it's a fruit of uh, American evangelicalism yeah. that absolutely disregards every intellectual bit of Christianity, so it forbids calling it a religion and instead calls it a relationship. I think it's both, but Definitely. you can't have one without the other. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The pure religion comes from having the relationship. And it's yeah, like, exactly. and it's the same camp that would say no creed but Christ and stuff like that. <laughs> you know what yeah. I'm talking about. It's the same group of people. Yeah, it is the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, the no creed but Christ bothers me a little bit more because I can kind of get what they're saying when they say not a religion, just a relationship. I think they're trying to say it's not just rituals. It's not just religious exercises. It is a relationship, but it's both, as you well said. Yeah. What's interesting too is whenever you start getting into discussions about theology or scripture and stuff like that, whenever you encounter an individual who's kind of in that mindset, they'll they'll quickly call you a religious Pharisee for mm-hmm. for yeah. adhering to scripture in a certain way. And it's just like I mean, what kind of Christianity is that really? All right. Yep. You know, I don't need theology, I just need Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Just ask them who is Jesus and you're getting into theology. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Well, exactly, yeah. Like, which Jesus are we talking about? Exactly. I'd also add James 127. Mm. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans. That has a complete context, but it it actually uses the word religion. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess I'll pick... (laughs) There was one on here that says, the only way truth and life with a question mark. I think that's a hard one. What do you mean? Uh, I don't really know what they're asking. Are they asking? I don't know either. Can you repeat that? It says, quote, the only, all caps only, way, truth, and life, question mark. Yeah, but that's, it's continued from another one that says, since Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and oh, the life. There it is. It's down there. Shouldn't, shouldn't he then be the only? Then I, I lose the question. Since Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, John fourteen six, shouldn't he be mm-hmm. the only way, and truth, and life? Well, yeah, that's what the text says. Yeah. <laughs> and no one comes to the Father except through me. Yeah, I think that's... That, that was an interesting one. Maybe they're just affirming it. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Well, all, all of us definitely affirm that Jesus is the only way. Absolutely. And you have to have maybe the right Jesus. Maybe they're asking if he's the only truth and life. Like, does it apply there as well is probably what he's asking. Maybe. And I think he, he does. 
I mean, it's, it's accurate to say he's the only truth. Nick is a Greek master. I mean, no, I'm not. Not a master, but. No, I'm not. <laughs> you know Greek, though. I know some. Because <laughs> the text in Greek in John 14.6 have the definite article before every single adjective given to Jesus. Uh, why you put me on the spot like that? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I know some Greek. I'm not a master of Greek. Okay. You will be, though. Yeah. I, I'm assuming you're gonna be writing Greek soon. I'm assuming that you're asking it because it's a loaded question, so I'm just gonna say yes. How about that? Okay. <laughs> right. There we are. Um. So that's you, Paul. Any questions you see that pop out? I guess we can kind of go through all these the way we're going. Yeah, mm-hmm. let's do it. The assurance of salvation one really. I've been dwelling on that subject a lot, and it really it speaks to me because that's one of my struggles. Um. The first thing I'd like to say about that is that if you ever try to find or seek assurance of salvation within yourself, you're never going to find it. As with salvation, justification, even sanctification and everything in the Bible, it has to point out from you toward Jesus. The only way you'll ever find assurance is looking to Jesus on his work on the cross, his perfect life, his resurrection. The fact that he's justified, and I'm, in, and I'm, and everyone else, every every other believer is in union with him, means that you also will be glorified as he is in in your body. So, assurance always has to drive outside from yourself toward Jesus. But the Bible also commands to examine ourselves. If you don't find any sign of grace or the Holy Spirit working in you, and you just live like a demon, and you have this. Uh, Steven Anderson, NIFB doctrine that says that even if you assent intellectually to the main doctrines of the gospel, you're saved. Even if you go and sleep with a prostitute that very same day, that's that's not fruits. And no one that looks toward himself and examines his own life and has that, he's not saved. He's simply not a Christian. But if you're trying to always examine yourself and look for assurance within your own heart, you're not going to find it. You have to look to to Jesus and then look how he has worked through his spirit in your life. Yeah. I'll let someone else go first before I give my two cents. Okay. Yeah. Well, that was was really well said, Paul. Yeah, that was awesome. Um, Yeah, I was just going to add to that, that, you know, when talking about assurance, I mean, one of the quotes that comes to mind from John MacArthur, he says, it's about direction, not perfection. Yeah, totally. That really helps me because it's clear none of us are perfect. If we're looking to our own perfection, our own righteousness, you're not going to find assurance. Fact, no, you're going to fall into uh, despair immediately. Exactly. It's in Christ's perfect fulfillment of the law, his perfect righteousness um, and shed blood on our behalf. That's our confidence. That's why we're right with God. It's nothing in and of ourselves. It's all what he did. And that's where we find true assurance. And that's a really encouraging thing if you think about it. Yeah, it is. And also the doctrine of election really helps on that. Mm-hmm. Is if, if you would be struggling with assurance, that, of course, it should mean most of the time that you are part of the elect. Because unsaved people really don't think about that. Yeah. yeah. Agree. What do you think? Yeah, uh, oh, go ahead. Uh, yeah, sorry. Go ahead, Alex. No, I... I think Paul and you, Jason, both nailed it. Um, you know, I think assurance is, it's, it's tough because you want to look at yourself. You want to think, um, you want to have a checkbox of, okay, I did this now. Okay, I read my Bible today. Okay, I prayed. 
okay, I gave you know money to church and I helped this old lady cross the road. You you want to think that you're doing these things in order to earn you know merit, if you would, because that's the old Catholic measure. But you want to think that you're trying to earn your way into heaven. You want that. Well, I'm doing all these good things, so I've got to be saved. And so you want to try to, you know, it's just our nature to try to build that up inside us. And in reality, Scripture tells us completely different that, you know, it's all done by the work of Christ. And I think sometimes, you know, we need to just take a step back and take a deep breath and say, okay, you know, what are the things that I'm passionate about doing that are driven for the kingdom? And... You know, what are the things that God has put on my heart to want to now go do instead of just, you know, trying to check this box, but you really try to find what you're passionate for and and pursue those things. But I'm also thinking, like, we really need to stop putting the pressure on ourselves to um, to succeed at something because we're always going to fail and we're always going to fall short. And then we're going to lead ourselves into more disappointment because, now we're going to think that we're not measuring up to the, you know, the commands of Christ. Yeah, that, that's always the issue. Yeah, it's finding that balance between the two heresies of legalism and antinomianism. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And it's a real balancing act for sure. But one of the things that you called to mind there was, you know, we should look for good works in our lives. But we have to understand that that's the fruit of our salvation, not the yep, root right. of it. Right. Yeah, the trust must never be on the works. Exactly, Never. on Christ's works. Mm-hmm. And if yeah. if anyone struggles with assurances, I have just read John ten repeatedly and First uh, John, Romans eight, all the New Testament, and the, the whole New Testament, also. yeah, the whole Bible. Just read it ten or twelve times. <laughs> I mean John John ten twenty seven and twenty eight. Um. Uh, with the sheep. Uh, I know my sheep and my sheep know me and, and no one can snatch them out of my hand. I mean, that's, that's enough of assurance. That's not how the text literally goes verbatim, but I don't have time to bring it up. Yeah. Hey, real quick, one other verse that is relevant here, John fifteen sixteen, Jesus says, this is, a, I love this verse. He says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. Like, he chose and elected yeah. us. Ephesians 2.10 also, on, on the good works that God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. Mm. Yeah. My, uh, it's really a big, big area that you can tackle, and uh, y'all, all of y'all have done an awesome job. Whenever I think about it, I always think of it, whenever, I, I remember struggling with salvation for quite some time, where I was like, in terror and um and a lot of it's because if you're struggling with assurances because in some sense you think that it depends on you yeah uh, and that's kind of what y'all guys touched on with election and realizing that it's not about that and that works flow from and so with that it's always looking at well what are your dispositions what are your desires are you hating sin do you want to do the right things do you love the things of god even though you may not be doing it as well as you could have is there a pattern of growth? And I think first John lays out all of that. One thing that I did was I read first John every day for a month. Um, and that really changed my perspective because that's the purpose of first John is to give you assurance. Yeah. Uh, and then I think of Ephesians, uh, chapter one, 
um, uh, 1, 13 through 14. And him also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. He is a guarantee, a down payment of sorts. And then, of course, you guys mentioned election, but I always think of Romans eight twenty eight through 30. Uh, uh-huh. Those who are foreknown will be glorified uh, because yeah. they are justified and they were called and they were predestined. So I think there, there's obviously a lot of comfort in that reality, but in terms of dealing with it emotionally, because you can know the intellectual aspect and still struggle with it emotionally. It's just yeah, of course. realize that, that it does not depend upon you. Forensically, you are justified because of Christ's work, not because of your own work. Right. And you're also kept by him. I, exactly. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. And then the Father's hand is on top of that. So yeah, really can't be any more secure than that. And whenever you're, whenever you're a young Christian, you're going to struggle a lot more because you haven't gotten into the swing of mortification. You're going to mess up a lot, and it's going to freak you out. But if, yep. you're, if you're worried about it, like I believe Paul said, then that's a good sign. But don't take that for granted. You still test your faith. You still work it out. But um, that's all I have to th- say on yep, that. It is God who gives the willing and the doing yep. at the end. Yep. Which that kind of segues into another question. Perhaps whether, san- uh, whether sanctification is synergistic or not. Maybe not the right word, but something like that. And uh, yeah, Al- Alex and I, you think so? Well, yeah, in some part. Sanctification. Oh, uh, Alex and Paul and I, I were mean, talking God, about whether God or not... doesn't work for us in the in sanctification sense, like a hundred percent, and God doesn't believe for us. Right. Yeah, I was just uh, whether or not synergism would be an appropriate term categorically. That that has a lot of load into it. So yeah, because I always see it as being salvific in uh, its general definition. Synergism. Yeah, versus that's, that's kind of what we agreed on with that but you definitely cooperate in sanctification we're called to mortify and to walk in the spirit god god won't mortify sin for you but he gives you the wish to do it right and he he also carries you through as um philippians 2 2 13 says yeah because you got that preservation of the saints to kind of fall back on and that goes without saying that you you can't really do anything without christ uh jesus said if unless you abide you can do nothing of spiritual yeah. value, and so that's something that's considerable there, because some people try to sanctify themselves, and it doesn't <laughs> doesn't work. Uh, you'll fall flat on your face every time. Every mm-hmm. time. <laughs> what do you think, Jason? Well, yeah, sanctification. Um, it I would say it's synergistic in the sense that justification, you know, salvation, regeneration. That's monergistic. It's just God who does it. We don't participate in that. He just, like, we're reborn. We're born again. We participate just as much in our rebirth as we do in our first birth. We don't do anything, right? But the the sanctification, we have verses, as you mentioned earlier, Philippians 2.12 and going on to 13, it says um, on the second half of verse 12, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act on on behalf of his good purpose. Uh, So it's him... We see both there. We see that it's us working out the fruits, bearing fruit. The cause is the salvation, but the effect is sanctification and fruits of good works. And it's God who ultimately causes that. But we have to participate. We have to walk by the Spirit, as we see in, I believe it's Ephesians 4, 
where we need to participate in this, uh, but ultimately it's not dependent on our works, as we said earlier. Yeah. Anyone have a question that's popping out? Yeah, one microphone do you use? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I confess that was me. I, I asked that question. That question has been answered, and that information is confidential. Confidential. <laughs> All right, I have um, one, some then. questions cannot be answered. One of those mysteries that you'll find out whenever we're all glorified. Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. All right, guys. Brace yourselves for this one. I'm scared. Why are we so awesome? We're not. Next. Not at all. No. Moving on. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Yank. <laughs> Thanks, uh, Yank. I, I got an interesting one. What, what theological truth is most neglected by reformed yes. churches? I was going to ask that one too. I have uh, an opinion. Oh, fine then. You then you answer it first. No, Wait, you go could first. you repeat the question real quick? What theological truth is most neglected by Reformed churches? Mm, that's tough. I have one. I want to hear it. L- lifting your hands and worship. <laughs> 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 was the gold dust falling from the ceiling. Does that go underneath the category of theological truth? <laughs> No, no, no. That God is sovereign but not in control, right? I think that's the most yeah. neglected by Reformed churches. Mm, I think love. Oh, wow. I think love. Yeah. I think I agree. That's a hard one to argue because, with. Because we're so bent on doctrine. We're yeah. so yeah, bent we, on being right. We, we think forget we're, that love. we're like the, the guardians of orthodoxy. And yes. Us alone and no one else. Exactly. Man. Well, see, I, I went there. Part of that one makes me want to think of um, emotional engagement, mm. where we don't apply intellectual knowledge to our emotions as much as we ought to, because mm-hmm. we we value intel- intellect so much that we just completely neglect it. My original answer was going to be um, personalization or personal relationship in terms of Holy Spirit. It seems mm-hmm. like the Reform Camp team tends to go to the extreme and neglects the Holy Spirit. I've even seen some Reformed individuals say that illumination doesn't occur today. Um, mm-hmm. What? Yeah, and I don't, wow. I don't know how you could read the Bible without illumination. Yeah, that's, that's tough. Yeah, good that, luck with that. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. something. So, But I, I have to switch gears, and I think I agree with, with you first and foremost now. You know how ironic that is, though? John Owen has a 900-page volume on the Holy Spirit. No. And nice. he, he was reformed. Yeah, John Calvin has been called, I think, by B.B. Uh, Warfield, the theologian of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. It's weird. Yeah. I think it's just, I think we just tend to go to extremes. We see something, and we want to correct it, and we overcorrect every single yeah, time. Yeah, just like Mary. Like, yeah. we never talk about Mary, because we we <laughs> have the, the taboo thing with the Roman Catholics. Yeah. yeah. And early, Mary is a biblical character, and we should talk about her from time mm-hmm. to time. Yeah, I mean, the early church fathers make you sweat over Mary. Yeah, yeah, sure. yeah they do. Same thing you with know, the I, Eucharist, too. I honestly. preached on I preached on her a couple months oh, ago. Oh, get out of here, dude! Not <laughs> you know, I didn't get up and you know make a sacrifice to her at the altar. <laughs> <laughs> These are the dogmas of Mary. Listen carefully. <laughs> you will obey, or you will perish. Which theological truth is neglected by Reformed churches? Sacrificing on the altar to Mary. 
<laughs> Someone's going to take that out and put it on YouTube now. Nick Campbell from Christ the Cure. Uh, it's a bunch of heretics. <laughs> uh, These guys man. can't take y'all anywhere. No, we're you know terrible. what else is, is neglected? <laughs> a theology of nature. Oh, interesting. That is yeah, interesting. Like Earth, creation, yeah. Yeah. animals. I love you. You guys know I love animals. I'm going to write a book on that. You like Kate too. Have an episode on 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 dog like with that. But yeah, I think that's greatly neglected. I think a lot of people just, I don't know, swoop it aside and think that heaven is just going to be a huge parking lot with nothing to do. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I think I, I agree to that, but you know, I go to a park every day on my lunch and I sit and I just bask in the creation some days. And I yeah. just I'm marveled at at that. And and I agree because people forget that God's thumbprint is in everything. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, nature's beautiful. Beautiful. It's fallen. I yeah. mean, just imagine what the new heavens and new earth oh is. Oh, my goodness. Well, you think about everything that man has built, it's it's <laughs> usually a reflection off of something we know about in nature. Yeah. yeah. Nature right, nature is like the ultimate architect whenever you think about mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Well, we'll I guess not the, not the ultimate, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Well, one of the things that I think that reformed, you know, individuals and churches could, like, work on, what we could work on is... Um, like a doctrine or an attribute that we should focus more on is um, passion with zeal. We should not just zeal to correct our opponents, but zeal for God, you know, doxology. Um, a G.C. Burkauer, who was R.C. Sproul's professor, he had a quote where he said, all true theology begins and ends with doxology. Hmm. And we see that in Paul, in all throughout Romans, all of this theology, like just boils up into just passionate doxology praising god and it should that's how it should be yeah if your theology doesn't lead to doxology you're doing it wrong yes exactly agreed and i throw a bomb go go for it drop it where did sin come from is that one of the questions or you just throwing that one out there i didn't see that no that's one of the the questions it came from the cake you just ate but I, I I want Jason to finish his thought first. Mm. Uh oh. Did you lose it? Where, where did sin come from? No no no. What you were saying before that before I interrupted you. Oh no, you're fine. What was I saying? Um. Oh yeah, one other one other uh, thing besides doxology that reformed people could emphasize more is humility. Um, and there's obviously many who are like humble, and that's a great thing. I mean, it's hard I'm, to look I'm at humble. guys like. <laughs> <laughs> it's like when that's Moses the humblest says, thing, I, thing I've ever heard. <laughs> but it's hard to look at a guy like Paul Washer and say reformed people are always arrogant. Like, are you serious? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, just definitely our theology having a, a more thorough biblical understanding of God should humble us because it's obviously the Holy Spirit that's illuminated that, that's revealed that to us, and that should draw us to. Um, a state of humility, knowing that that's all God, that's all from Him, and that's all for His glory. Yep. But yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Paul. I already threw the question. Where did sin come from? I'll let I'll let someone else take that one. Yeah, I'll, <laughs> I'll do the same. <laughs> <laughs> so that basically leaves me or Nick, and Nick's the host, so it leaves oh, me. Oh, this guy. <laughs> um, 
Just say you don't know, dude. <laughs> Sin came from a crafty serpent's lie. Yeah. Uh, but where did that sin come from? Doesn't matter. That's the only origin point we have divine revelation for. Anything else is speculation. It's not worth diving True. into. Yeah, well said. Yep. Getting into hypotheticals if you go past that. Yeah. yeah. I, I think I think we try to go so deep sometimes that we rip mystery out of theology. And I don't want to even bother with that one. You know, and there's just some things that we just don't need to know about, and that's perfectly fine. This is probably one of those things. Yeah, I mean, people just say that uh, the origin of evil is the the Achilles heel of, of Christianity. I think that's nonsense. If mm -hmm. you If you even dare to assume that there's such a thing as evil, you already destroyed your own worldview, and you gave all the credit to the Christian worldview, because yeah. you can't explain evil outside from the Christian worldview. It's a little, yeah. bit, a little bit off topic. There's no such thing as evil. A little, little bit off topic, but uh, yesterday I was reading through the Declaration of Independence. And just like the opening lines, you know, endowed by their creator. It's like, wow, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and how far we've just like come from that in our country. But sorry, a little spiel there. Um, but I, I think also sin isn't created. It just corrupts. It, it has a host, and it has to spread that way. Yeah. So that, that raises a lot of questions within itself. Yeah, you know, what you were saying earlier, Nick, about how there's certain things we just shouldn't, you know, get into. It's stuff that we should, like mysteries that we should leave mysteries. One of those things that a lot of people actually talk about, though, is lapsarianism. Supra, super. <laughs> That's all speculation. What, yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Babnik doesn't take a position. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it's, it's the kind of thing where... I mean, you kind of have to just conclude that since God's out of, outside of time, his eternal decrees have no sequence. So you can't go any further into like the order in which he decreed. Right. Like whether we would fall or election. Yeah. Well, sequence demands time. So, yeah, mm, that's true. And God's outside of time. Yes. I think it's I think it's interesting and arrogant that so many people think that they can answer all the questions and I, you know, honestly, I used to be the same. I used to want to find the answer to every single detail. Uh, and then it came to the breaking point where like, wait, nope. But even then it's like, where is the beauty in the mystery? You know, there's, there's that kind of like, he's far beyond, he's holy outside of our intellect, completely holy in every single way possible. You know, why would we ever think we can comprehend even a fraction of what, yeah. what there is? But yeah, I love this quote from from Calvin. When God closes His holy mouth, I will desist from inquiry. <laughs> wow, that that touches on that when we should be silent, when we should speak, what should we dive into, what should we leave alone? Yeah, yeah. I mean, lapsarianism is fun and all, but it's really unnecessary. Oh yeah, yeah. We should be preaching the gospel instead of talking about that. Yeah. 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 Totally agree. Yep. I have another good one. All right, what you got? Fire. Hypostatic union. Oh, we were talking about that one. Ooh. Yeah. Fully man, fully God. Next question. <laughs> <laughs> Are we taking the Calvinistic oh, Nick, Nick is our resident um, expert on church history, so. Oh, actually, Alex is probably more fresh on that one right now. It, Same here. <laughs> it, Lightly. It was a big debate. Calvin and Luther yeah. disagreed on how it worked. Yeah. Calvin, yeah, the early church was broken into two camps. 
and uh, Nick, correct me if I'm wrong, but this was the um, the Ar- Aryan controversy. Is that correct? It touches on that, but it's more of uh, Nestorianism and Alexandrianism. Yeah. Oh. What yeah, I remember they... freshly from from that great book is that originally the Aryans, the originists that mm-hmm. followed um, Origin, mm. and the the Christians who espoused the Nicene Creed all clashed to one another, and the originists and the um, Aryans uh, both ganged up on the the, the Nicene Creed. The Nicene, yeah. yeah, the the Nicene Christians. Um, originists believed that God the Son is eternally God, but He's not as God as God the Father. He's a degree less of God, and the Holy yeah. Spirit is a degree less of God than Christ. Semi-Arianism. So what, yeah, semi-Arianism. And Arianism just rejects the, the eternality of Christ. A uh, modern example would be the, the Jehovah's Witnesses. Yep. And Nicene Christians were Orthodox, Bible-believing. But the... Correct me if I'm wrong, guys. The, the thing there was uh, a confusion with the word homoousios, which is uh, the same essence, and homoousios, which is a similar essence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's the, correct. the nice Christians used homo, the same essence, and the originists used the same, but the Arians, I think they... They used the... No, the, 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 the origins hated the Sabellian heresy, which is uh, modalism, that mm-hmm. God is one person changes uh, with the three modes, that he changes masks, pretty much. Mm-hmm. And they ganged up on the Nicene Christians because they thought that that was what homo usios meant, and the Arians yeah. sort of uh, made um, a group with the originists and ganged up on the on the on the Nicene Christians. Yeah. Yeah. You know what yeah, the crazy I... thing is about modalism is like I just I haven't even researched that, but I can just destroy that right now humbly <laughs> uh, by looking at Jesus's baptism. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You yeah. see the Father talking. And then you see the Holy Spirit descending like a dove, and Jesus is there being baptized. That's all three at the same time. Absolutely. And then you have the problem of adoptionism, uh, which is very popular in world faith movements. I know. Uh, Mm. Yeah. Uh, Heck, John 16 destroys modalism as well. Yeah. Yeah, but Nick, go on. Like, explain what it is. So, adoptionism is that Jesus was basically fully human until he was baptized by the Holy Spirit, and then he yeah. took on divine attributes in some shape That's or form. Nasty. There's variance to it. Um, a lot of, a lot of word of faith. I think Joyce Meyer holds that view. Yeah, I was oh, just going to really? say that. Yeah, she so. does. Oh, dude. There's um, a sound clip of her actually preaching that. Well, that, and then you have the kenosis heresy, which is Bill Johnson, that he emptied mm. out all of his divine attributes, yep. uh, which actually goes further than the early versions of it, where they said he emptied out some of his divine attributes. And so with that, he teaches that Jesus lived perfectly in harmony with God as a man. He died, and since he became sin, he suffered in hell for three days and had to be born again in hell, and then he ascended in deity. And that's actually, Yeah, that's nasty. That's actually common, too. Joyce Meyer also holds the same thing with hell. Whenever I came Doesn't to, Kenneth Copeland, too? Yes. That's actually kind of a staple of it for some reason. They, mm-hmm. they hold that he was born again in hell, which, if anyone knows... The reason why it's because of uh, the translation of Hades or Gehenna. Um, there's confusion with that because in the King James, it renders all three versions um, of the word uh, Sheol, Hades, and Gehenna into hell whenever there's a more accurate because 
Hades is just the grave. Jesus descended into the grave. Even the Apostles' Creed is mistranslated in some sense just because of the way we attach hell to the eternal lake of fire. Hell doesn't exist yet. It's in the future, and I think there's a big misconception with that. Mm. Um, I, yeah, I was just going to ask about the Apostles' Creed. Yeah. Um, because that was that's one of the things that I haven't understood about it because it's supposed to be like everything that we can agree on if we're centered on the gospel. And then there's that, and I'm like, whoa, hold up. Yeah, and the, and the original language is Hades. Which just means the grave, and the Jehovah's yeah, Witnesses love that. Yeah, and also the Apostles' Creed, uh, that part that says he he descended into hell, that's a later um, addition to the Apostles' Creed. Oh, it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that helps because that's the one thing I would take out if I had to edit that. You know. Yeah, and it, and if you really are looking for a um, a creed to hang on, the Nicene's probably more, at least in my opinion. Yeah, it's more thorough for sure. Yeah, it's definitely really it lays out a little more detail than the Apostles' Creed. Since uh, well, and Nick, isn't uh, the adoptionist heresy like a modern version of um, Nestorianism? You know, uh, I'm not sure. Um, kind of right. Yeah, because they they also hold that that Jesus was just a man that yeah. uh, God the Son was united to him in a mystical way. Yeah, it's hard because there's several versions where it says that Jesus was just a man, and they have different names. So I don't know. Um, I don't know. I, I I was looking whenever I was thinking about this though, because y'all are fresh in the first volume. I I'm in the third, and so I was just looking at Calvin and Luther. Um, nice. uh, I believe Calvin thought that two natures are united without any type of transfers of the attributes between his humanity and his deity, and then um, they. Luther believed that, or Lutherans believed, rather, that two natures um, of his divine nature extended to his human nature. And so there was this big debate over how the two natures work together, whether or not they're yeah. inseparable or united, and obviously, or mixed. And that was, it, this debate's been going on for centuries, basically. That, that's also a mystery. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think, too, um, if you look back to the, late 200s, early 300s, when this really kind of became relevant, you know, this debate on, you know, is Jesus God? Is he a, a created being? Because that was a big thing then that some believe that he was, you know, that step down, but he was the first created. And then, yeah. and then you fast forward all the way to today, you know, some 1700 years later, it's a debate still going on today. Yeah. I mean, that people still believe this stuff. When the Bible is very explicitly clear, and the early and John church, one, yeah, yeah, John one wrecks all that even. Um, but the early church fathers, though they were heavily, the, I mean, those who held to the Nicene were heavily persecuted, and they did not waver. Yeah, and you know, and I think that shows the test of time that the church, even under strict and heavy pressure. To conform to an idea will never waver from true doctrine. You know what's funny is that one of the criticisms against the Arian is, uh, I think Athanasius, was that? Wait, that's that's way early. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the criticisms against the Arians were that they worshipped Jesus in their service. And what's funny about that is that Jehovah's Witnesses prior to 1954, which means Russell and uh, Rutherford, who were the founders, worshipped Jesus. And then in 1954, they completely switched up their doctrine to say that you don't worship Jesus. But they had the same issue as the original Arians because they recognized that Jesus was worshipped in Scripture. 
And that's where you see them change their new world translation. So just a little fun fact that I was thinking about just now on that. But you have to have you have to have the full deity and the full humanity of Christ, otherwise you lose salvation. Yeah. yeah. You have to have both. And I think that's where it all that's why it's so important. And a lot of people don't understand, well, why does this matter? And that's the reason why. But Yeah. When when Thomas the doubter um, saw Jesus after rising after he rose from the dead, he said, My Lord and my God, and he bows before him. Does Jesus stop him? Of course not. Yeah. And so clearly he's God. He clearly he's to be worshipped. And that kind of wrecks that. But yeah. My favorite for the deity of Christ is probably John 12. Um, you see them talking about the unbelief. And it says, Isaiah wrote these things about him. And the quotation is from Isaiah 6. And it says that Isaiah saw Jesus' glory. And Isaiah 6 is the throne room of Yahweh. And it's just mm. really a great text. Um, and then Jude 5. But, of course, then you get into textual variants. Oh, Jude 5 is an amazing one. I love Jude 5. <laughs> Jude 5 is yeah. my favorite Another good one is Psalm 102, verses 25 through 27, and Hebrews 1, um, yep. verses 6 through 12, I think it is. Yeah. It's hard because, like, really, the whole Bible is laced with it, if you just look. Like, there's one in yeah. the triumphant entry in Matthew where it attributes a quote, a praise, to Jesus that's for Yahweh. It's it's really just look at the references of the Old Testament yeah. and make the connections. It's just throughout every page, really. Um, and then even in the, even in the Old Testament where it says, I, the God Yahweh will send Yahweh as a savior. Like, what does, what? Like, that doesn't make sense unless you really just make the Yeah, and also Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis 22, I think it is. Yeah. It says, um, Yahweh, um, called fire from Yahweh from the heavens. It's like two, two yeah. Yahwehs, but there's one. Yeah. Mm. It's just everywhere. Yeah, Genesis one twenty six is really is the first chapter of the Bible. It says, "Let us make man in our image." I know, so, I know, some people that would debate that as the divine council. I don't know if y'all have ever heard of that one. The the heavenly host of councils. Oh, I've heard that. Yeah, that sounds Mormon. It does yeah. sound Mormon. When it says "let us," that's obviously referring to the Trinity. This is Father, Son, Holy Spirit eternally yeah. in triunity. I wonder if that argument did come from the Mormons. That's an interesting question. Speaking of Mormons, there's a question on here about Mormons, isn't there? Oh, where? Oh, no. I don't, I don't have it. It says there's a lot of talk about the LDS oh, yeah, church and the Watchtower. Why not more about the Catholic Church? <laughs> we talked about the Catholic the Church quite a bit. I've talked about uh, that. 500, 500 years. years. Yeah. They're, no, more like a 1,000. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, Mormons, Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses are relatively young. So a lot of people don't, a lot of people aren't aware. I mean, I was, I was in Bandera the other day, uh, and I drove by the kingdom hall cause I'm a weirdo like that. And I looked up the reviews and one of them was like, this is a great church. It's not a cult. And I was just like, you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't, don't drink the Kool-Aid, but these guys are great. Yeah. Let me tell you. That's like driving past the Chick-fil-A and saying, don't eat here. It's not really good. Yeah. I had, Chick- I had Chick-fil-A for lunch yesterday. Oh man, that, that's like going to—that's like leaving a review on Chick Fil A. This is excellent, but it's not chicken. Okay, <laughs> you, you should only get the cheeseburgers from here. <laughs> <laughs> like that man. comment that it's not a cult gives it away as a cult. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't, don't worry, guys, we're not a cult. Promise. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, 
Because speaking of cults, you can no, now order your uh, certificate of apostleship <laughs> for only two thousand dollars. Oh man, you're gonna have price. Paul and I's online half, apostleship half store. We need to have like a little like recorded professional plug for you guys for that. Yeah, no. just we'll play back some after music. The... Drop it right in there. Take we'll... a minute break. Yeah, we'll be back after the break. And now presenting your apostleship. <laughs> Do you have what it takes to prophecy? <laughs> Can you speak in tongues? <laughs> <laughs> this summer, fresh revelation, but it's not scripture. Have you extended a leg in your in your lifetime? <laughs> But wait, call now. Wait, we'll there's more double certifications. Call now when it's fifty percent off. And we'll throw in a bumper sticker. Certificated apostle. <laughs> All these other guys are just pulling your leg. Oh no! We are extending your legs. <laughs> uh, oh, that gosh. reminds me. I got a a DM from someone who calls themselves a prophet. No. Oh. On Instagram. Was it me? (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. I don't know. Might have an extra account. No, but this guy, he said, I prophesy goodwill into your life. This month, unmerited favor will locate you in Jesus' name. Finally. (laughs) I've been waiting on that for 33 years. (laughs) Does this guy write the the fortune cookie little notes for Panda Express? Because I'm like... I said, oh, I was like, thank you. I was trying to be all kind of. <laughs> thank you, but not really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then he, he gave me, sent me this giant five paragraph thing about just give me your direct deposit info and you will be blessed. <laughs> oh, my goodness gracious. <laughs> wow. Just call this number and God will bring you unmerited favor. And I just I just sent to him a copy and paste of Second Peter 2, verse 1 through 3. It's like, but false prophets also <laughs> arose among the people. And and then it says they're bringing upon themselves swift destruction. So I just I just let the word speak for itself there. But and he saw it and left. You know what? You know, what? I just that made me think of um, I realized that I the, the time that I get blocked the fastest on social media is when I only respond with scripture. Yeah. Isn't that yeah. weird? There was a couple people that got mad at me. And just like completely blocked me just because I responded with just scripture. And I think maybe that's the new methodology. Just let it speak for itself, right? Yeah, well, I like I that. Just had, I just had uh, something around two weeks ago with a person who was defending. He was attacking um, one of our good friends on Instagram, uh, calling her her family literally low lives because she, she, she called out um, Kenneth Copeland and all these heretics. And then I, I DM'd him. And he, he asked me, what does the Bible teach that we should expose false teachers? And I sent him literally like one text. And he actually said, uh, I stand corrected. Forgive me. And then he, he asked, um, he apologized to uh, our friend. Awesome. Which, uh, uh, yeah, I was surprised. That's really cool. That is cool. Every well, now and then, right? Every now and again. Yeah, it makes it all worth it. It does. Yeah, it really does. So do you guys agree with uh quote-unquote pastor anderson's view on reprobates i don't even i don't know what his view is i don't know what his view is but i think he i think he calls um, everybody like yeah everybody a reprobate how can you call someone a reprobate if you deny election he denies Mm -hmm. everything yeah well he has a totally different view on it 
I don't yeah. know his view. All I know is that I I, have... I, I think that he he uh, represents reprobates as being um, people from the LGBTQ plus uh, N Q R S T W X Y. Um, <laughs> now you know your ABCs. The more you know. <laughs> oh man, I, you know my my view on Anderson. The man needs to be removed from the pulpit. The IFB is a disgrace to Christianity. Um, well, they're not part of it. No, they're not. They're it's just a cult. They are a cult. They're like Mormons. They are a hate group. And yeah, they're a Westboro Baptist, except without the name. And you know those. And we've Paul, you and I have encountered some IFBs numerous times on Instagram. Yeah. Yeah. And the hatred they spew. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. Something. It's really surprising. Is just disgusting. Yeah, it shows that you can go too far in both directions, really. Yeah, I mean, I had one person actually told me, um, I, "I'm going to pray that tonight you would die and go to hell." Yeah, and he told me, "I hate you. I do not love you." Wow. I mean, dude. Yeah, I was shocked. No, I, I know who you're talking about because he told uh, told me the same thing. Not that I would die, but he oh. just hates me. I know. Yeah, Ray, Ray KJV, right? Yep, yep, yep. yep and yep. I think he said I'm gay too at one point. I'm like, okay. Oh. Like, I have a child upstairs with a woman, but yeah, all right, bud. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever you say. Yeah, well, you do you, man. Interesting factoid, since we talked about it. Uh, Anderson, at least in the discussion with James White on the King James, uh, said that Jesus suffered in hell for three days, too. Yeah. Uh, because he wouldn't <laughs> accept correction from his Greek text, even though he yeah. knew the Greek behind it. Um, that was interesting. I don't know Secret. if he actually yeah, he, he actually asked uh, White, what would people outside the door uh, understand by the word hell? Yeah. Or, or no, Hades or Hades, however you pronounce it. <laughs> and White actually um, responded to him by saying, do people outside define what words mean? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. what he said. Anderson views the Greek text as underneath the authority of the King James text. Yeah. Yep. Which is basically like for those groups, they use what most of them that I know of use what's called the Scribner's text, where a Scribner conformed the Greek text to the King James to match its variants. And it was like, that's that's awkward. We're not, I don't know. Something no, it's about like that. backwards. Yeah, it's completely mm -hmm. backwards. Um, what does it mean by the intermediary in Galatians 3 when it talks about the law? I haven't even looked at Galatians 3. <clears throat> for this. That is a tough text. It says, now the intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. That's 320. It's in 320? I have, some, I have notes I did on look it. at I it once. Is... I, didn't, I didn't even pull it up yet, honestly. What uh, verse is it? Galatians 320. And 319, it says something about two. Angels yeah, by yeah. intermediary. There's some notes. I could read it. I don't, I've don't. i never looked at this in depth, so I'm... I, I did once, but I forgot. Solely relying on what this person says it's, it says in the previous verse Paul began to show the show the answer to the question why then the law in other words if the law cannot save us from sin as the Judaizers were teaching Galatians 2 4 what was the point of it Paul said that the law was given to Israel for two reasons so far one is that the law defined certain sins and showed us that we are sinful Two, the law was given for a season for 130 years after God's promise to Abraham 
and his offspring until the arrival of his ultimate offspring. Jesus sent to receive those promises on our behalf. Then Paul added that the law was put into place through the ages and by an intermediary from the Greek term, I'm not going to pronounce that, as translated as mediator. In other words, the law was a covenant between two parties, God and Israel. God was represented in this agreement by angels. Israel was represented by Moses. Covenant agreement was this. If Israel would keep God's commandments, he would bless them. If the people disobeyed, God would curse or punish them. It's a two-way covenant. God, however, is one. Paul concludes he does not require human beings to be involved in order to make a covenant. We call this a unilateral covenant of promise. God gave promises to Abraham and his offspring without demanding anything in return. Abraham simply believed and God gave. Jesus is the, quote-unquote, the offspring who received what was promised in Abraham's to Abraham's descendants. Those who are, quote-unquote, in Christ receive those promises as well without need or of help from the law. You wrote that? No, I just read that. That's some commentary. Oh. There's no way yeah, I can that's, write that. That's basically that uh, what I understand from it, that the law, uh, the law's mediator, in a certain sense, is God through Moses, because right. Jesus said quite a few times, I think, it is Moses who will judge you. Yeah. Like, you believe in Moses, then you'll be accountable to, to what Moses wrote while under the inspiration of God. Yep. Um, the law has that as a mediation, and the gospel has God himself as a mediation. And what he said at the end reminded me of Genesis fifteen seventeen, which is pretty much my favorite verse, in which we have um, Abraham sound asleep like i mean probably knocked out in a coma uh with animals divided split in half which was a sign of old covenants and the the only person that passes through the animals is god abraham didn't so he 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 didn't form part on that covenant it was unilateral by god only yeah now i I remember studying that and being like that's kind of pointing towards the new covenant in which it's only um, God's covenant to save us. It's his work. And obviously we talked about, you know, justification being monergistic and sanctification being synergistic, but it's ultimately only God who saves us. It's Christ's righteousness and not our own. And we did touch on that earlier, but that's pointing towards that future reality in the Abraham story there. Hmm. Nick? I'm not really sure that um, I have anything of substance to add to this. I was thinking that, well, the priests were types and shadows of the ultimate mediator, Christ, but they weren't. I don't know. I, I want to look at it more. I, I haven't looked at it enough to, to really say much on it, to be honest. I don't want to make any quick statements. So. Yeah, I was just giving my thoughts, and I I looked at it before, and I I read commentaries, and what Alex read was pretty much on point. Yeah, don't take my comments as authority, though, please. <laughs> All right, he declared it. Ex- it cathedra. is done. <laughs> what do you think about the social justice debate in the SBC? I'm tired of oh, it. Oh, dude. Yeah. yeah. It's it's getting so old. Did y'all sign the statement? Are we gonna? Did y'all sign? The I statement? I'm, I I'm a no one. It. I'm a nobody. I signed yeah. the statement. Anyone can sign the statement. Really? Yeah. You go to social oh. social justice <laughs> statement. 
And then well, I don't know if y'all have y'all read it, looked at it. Yeah, I have. I glanced at it. Yeah, it's all it's all Bible one hundred and one. Like there's nothing yeah. there's nothing yep. unusual about it. And yet, why is this a discussion at all? Because <laughs> uh, people are adding stuff to the gospel. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well the SBC is known for that now. It seems like. Well, yeah. If you want to survive, you have to pander to the culture somehow, right? Yep. Eleventh commandment, dude. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thou shalt pander to whatever the demands of society today are. Which, which actually, the SBC has kind of a, a taboo commandment that you can't really call out anyone else on the SBC, and you can't speak against it. And that's why, um, my dear Albert Moeller, who's really one of my favorite preachers and and um, theologians, he really doesn't speak against the SBC or against anyone else in the SBC because he would lose his job. Yeah. Yep. Well, well, could could you guys fill me in actually on the social justice debate in the SBC? Because I've I've heard it mentioned briefly, but I don't know the details of what's being said. Basically, it's like critical race theory and stuff like that um, being necessary within churches. If that is that an accurate way to summarize it, do you think? No one? Anyone? Bueller? Let me give an example. There you go. Let's see it. Some some churches have gone to the extreme length of having separate tables for the for the Lord's Supper for white people and black people. Yeah. Yeah. It's an That's extreme uh, racial segregation. Yeah. It basically adopts the culture's ideas of patriarchy and um, a privilege and all that. Yeah, and uh, white people are pretty much... Um, expected to be extremely more humble and loving toward black people because their ancestors had black people as slaves. That's a mess. It's a mess. It has gone to the point where like I've had someone tell me I need to repent of my ancestors deeds, even though they don't know who my ancestors are. They just presuppose. Yeah. And even though you've been uh, supposedly forgiven by Christ. Right. It, it completely changes the, the nature of the gospel. Yeah. It just underlines. I mean, it just, I think the whole thing just tries to supersede and discard everything that the, you know, the Bible stands for. And then it tries to affirm and put position the church and to be more of a seeker sensitive, you know, mentality to where, you know, hey, we're catering to all these people who had something happen to an ancestor 175 years ago. So come to our church because we love all the people. And if you're offended outside of that church, then, you know, we'll make sure we, we give you some restitution here. Yeah. And a lot of sound people are jumping on board with it. Yeah. Man. Um, for reference for whoever's listening, if you go to statement on socialjustice.com, you can look at the statement. And uh, obviously the, the denials are the primary points that people are addressing. Um, yeah, I'm already tired. So Alex of it. got a question from, um, someone that we, I and Alex really want to thank for her help in our, uh, podcast platform. Um, she asks, why do you, sorry, what do you say to someone who says, but we are all God's children, like Mormons, for example? Hmm. Yeah. Uh, we're not, I mean, we, we are in the sense that God is creator, but every time mm. that sonship is actually used in the way that people want it to be used, it's for those who are in Christ. It's adoption. It's one of the one of the blessings of the gospel. 
it's not for those who are still fallen in Adam. Yeah, we see that in Ephesians 1, 5. Um, it says, he predestined us for adoption. He predestined, obviously, us, the elect, for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. That's adoption as children of God, of course, for only the elect. But as you said, there's obviously a sense in which we're all creating God's image, and there's a certain value on human life because of that. But the adoption as children only applies to the elect, I think, received from the New Testament. I, I agree. And um, I think you, there, I think one thing that the church really fails to address today is that there are two camps of people um, in the world, and one of those camps uh, is the reprobates, and the other camp is the elect and the chosen. You know, you both nailed it perfectly with adoption that um, God is the one who brings us into his family. And, you know, you see that, and as we've mentioned earlier in the night, John six forty four, that no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Um, we see time and time again that Jesus is only here for his sheep, his, um, you know, church for the elect. It, he doesn't come to save all of the world. So not all people are his children outside of the premise that we are all, you know, created beings of God. But then you go into the pot and potter um, debate that is found in Romans nine, that uh, God has the ability to choose what he wants to do with what he created. He's the creator. And so I think it's just, we have to really look at scripture as its entirety and not cherry pick three verses and say, well, all people are God's children and God loves all people. You know, yes, but there's much more complexity to that. Yeah, we've got to be careful for sure. Mm -hmm. And I mean, in a creative sense, we are all God's children, but only in that sense. If you speak um, in a manner of redemption, just read Romans 8. Yeah. I'm just going to quote verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Do, do unbelievers do that? No. Do they fight against the flesh, like like Romans 8 says? And if you are a child of God in a redemptive sense, it means you are united to Christ in salvation. Christ will never unite himself to someone who despises him. Um, two thoughts that came to my mind just now on that was, first off, uh, every time that I've heard that, it is applied in the sense of God loves you, we're all God's children. And so that, that needs to be distinguished. That there's theological presuppositions behind there that need to be addressed. And then I was also thinking of, I've heard people who are basically pantheists say something like that. So then it comes down to, well, which God are you talking about? Because I'm certainly not the child of a pantheistic God. Uh, and yeah. It, and so th there, there's a lot of lot of areas to you can go with that. But at the end of the day, adoption is of the gospel. Uh, and, you know, we're all brothers and sisters in Adam until we're in Christ. And then we're brothers and sisters in Christ with those who are in Christ. So I think there's something to be said about that, too, I guess. Yep. Yeah. And well also in terms of the not necessarily the adoption and children aspect of this, but just the fact that it's not everybody, it's limited. Um, we see in Mark 10, 45, Jesus says, even the son of man, obviously himself, um, came not to be served, but to serve 
and to give his life as a ransom for many. It doesn't say ransom for all, a ransom for many, a specific definite group of people that he saved by grace. Yeah. But um, obviously that's getting into limited atonement. Yeah. yeah. And John, John 1.12 is also clear on that, that not, not everyone is God's children, but those who receive him. Yeah. Not, not yeah. of flesh or human will. Yeah, that's a good one too. Um, Following 12 verse. Yeah, I think it's 13, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I like that one for regeneration in general. Um, one question that I said that we would get to was, why have Christians become such cowards? Why has the church not cast out, uh, scored, and condemned such the obvious anti-biblical behavior? And why has the body become so passive and, dare I say, worthless against the world? Ooh. Uh, I... I got the question. I said, uh, solid question. I love it. Um, yeah. Because, you know, I was reading through 1 Corinthians, and I think I shared a screenshot of that with y'all whenever I was reading through it. And Paul tells you to not associate with people who call themselves brother, brothers and who are drunkards or swindlers or sexually immoral. And we live in a culture where homosexual Christian is becoming a norm where yep. you live in that lifestyle, and that's norm. When the direct biblical application is to not associate with brothers or people who claim to be brothers and do things of that nature. And I was just thinking of church discipline in general. Like, it, where has it gone at all? Um, and it's all in the name of let's not offend, let's love. And, you know, you know the standard type of argumentations there. But it's hard to get around the New Testament without seeing that aspect of, oh, wait, um, you're being immoral. You need to be cast out until you're ready to repent. Uh, and I think yeah, we don't really see that yeah, nowadays. Not at all. And some people like, uh, you know, and, and it's not like the shunning thing. I mean, we need a there is there that recognition that yeah, you can repent and come back anytime you want. Um, but you but you have to be sincere in your repentance and just like, I don't know. Any thoughts on that? I have. A I know Alex does. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, I I, I think. This nail. This kind of goes hand in hand with the direction I'm taking the, my solo podcast and some of the articles on our blog. Um, but I, I want to really try to maybe look at what the current situation is in the culture. So the question is pinned towards why have we basically become soft against false teachings? Is that correct? Mm -hmm. Basically. Okay. Well, actually, so, it seems to take more of a um, question about behavior. Behavior. Yeah, it says, why Why doesn't the church not cast out, scorn, or condemn obvious anti-biblical behavior? Yeah. Well, I mean, if you look at the original, like, if you look at early church history, there was the, the biggest approach to false doctrine um, was writing. They would write letters and books and articles to address heretics. They didn't storm pulpits and rip people out and beat them in the streets, at least not that I've read. So if you have those articles, I'd sure love to, to, to read about them. But most of the early church fathers that condemned the heresies did so by writing against them. Martin Luther in 1517 didn't go into a Catholic church and start beating up on a bishop or a priest. He went and nailed his uh, 95 thesis to the door at Wittenberg. Mm -hmm. So 
we have to understand that what should our approach actually be as a church to today's times? So are we condemning and casting out and, and calling against these individuals? Yes, we are. Those who hold firm to scripture write countless articles, books. We do podcasts. We do YouTube videos. We, we're on Instagram. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. And we constantly call out these individuals. And I think your stance, Nick, on 1 Corinthians was absolutely spot on, is that we should not associate with these people. But we also have to make the masses aware of what they are teaching and how can they prevent themselves from falling into those traps. And that's really the direction I'm taking is these are the false teachings today and this is how we have to either counter or go around you know, or prevent ourselves from falling into those traps. But I think what the church needs to do is just continue to stand firm in its teachings and continue to write against these, you know, or produce content nowadays is produce content against these, these heretical teachings or false teachings. Um, you know, back in the day they would do church councils to, you know, um, set a set of ordinances and, and come against various degrees of heresy. I think, I think it's pretty obvious today when you can see people like Joel Olstein and Joyce Meyer preach the, the garbage they preach that it's false. But it's what is interesting to me is even these mainstream denominations like Lutherans, which I'm a Lutheran at, at, at my uh, growing up, um, Methodists and you know all of these groups, even the Southern Baptist Convention, which we just briefly talked about, have major issues where they are falling into uh, the secular teachings are falling into false teachings and heresy. And the ELCA from the Lutheran organization is just, it's a cancer and it's eating itself. Mm-hmm. And I mean, they, they promote gays and lesbians. They ordain gays and lesbians. They marry them. They've gotten to the point now where they are starting to remove um, the male masculinity attributes from God from the Bible and from all of their teachings because it could offend somebody. Um, I mean, this is, and these are coming from mainstream denominations. And so the best way that we can do it is continue as a a collective group of, uh, is, you know, provide content to counter that. And I think, you know, even though the four of us, you know, we don't reach millions of people yet, but I think, us and then obviously all the people like Costi Hen and um, Justin Peters and all of these people who are in those um, those buckets working and fighting towards this truth. I think it's just a you know it's an everyday grind. It's not going to just change overnight. There's not going to be a light switch that's going to flip. But it's a constant until the day we die grind to fight against the masses that of the world that are trying to encroach upon the truth of Christ. Yeah, definitely. I think Titus 2, 1 kind of sums it up. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. We need to like just put out content that is just preaching the truth, speaking the truth in love um, out of the right motivation. Um, but we also have to be exposing 
um, in a loving way, as I said. Uh, well, Ephesians 5.11, it says, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Um, so that's kind of, you know, one of the reasons we feel the need to expose the false teaching to, um, I forget who had this quote, might have been Spurgeon, but it said, um, a shepherd has two different voices, one to uh, scare away the wolves and one to soothe or comfort the sheep. I think that kind of sums it up. That was Calvin? Yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. That sounds right. Yeah. And also take into notice 2 Timothy 4, 2. 2 Timothy is the last letter Paul wrote, uh, passing the baton on to Timothy. Um, Verse 2 says, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we're going to lack the patience, but it has to be there. Patience and teaching. Yeah. Definitely. And, you know, Paul, I want to piggy on that a little bit because I think your stance on preach the word in season, out of season, be ready. And to just, I would almost even say the people who have it in their DNA to stand on the street corners in front of the venues and preach the word of God, as long as they do it accordance to the way scripture is done, I give those people mad props because that is, you know, something I, I personally just don't have in my DNA to do. And um, that's another level to, you know, preach the truth. Because if, how do you, how does faith given to us? It's through hearing of the word as Romans 10 uh, verses 10 through 17 tells us. And if these people are going into these venues, never hear the word of God proclaimed, unless it's by that guy in the street corner who's doing it the proper way, then kudos to those people. Yeah, totally. But, you know, maybe you'd ha- you have in your DNA uh, something about standing in a corner with a box to ask people for indulgences. <laughs> <laughs> one, one additional thought that I had was um, it, it's good to uh, write and call people to action. And I think there's something to it for sure. I mean, obviously, my one of my latest articles has to do with that, calling church to really consider what's happening and things like that. Um, but I think for a lot of it, we need to be focusing on our work more than other people's work or neglect thereof. And whenever I think of that, it was again from first Corinthians where he's talking about the foundation is Christ. What are you laying up? Basically, are you laying up straw? Are you laying up gold? And I was realizing that, you know, you can focus so much on someone else that it, it becomes a competition or it becomes, um, I don't know, or it becomes kind of self-centered instead of focusing on the right things. So you focus on your mortification, your sanctification, and how you approach the situation. And, of course, you, you, take, you take into consideration whenever other people um, bring stuff to your attention. But I think that's where I would. Absolutely. And you know what? What came into mind with that, um, for every one Orthodox book that comes out, pretty much, I don't know, 10, 20 unorthodox books get published. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, just walk into any bookstore and you'll see 75 to 150 different, you know, books on be the best you, live the best life, be the most prosperous, be the most energized, be this, be that. It's all about you and it's not about God. And that's, and then you try to look for, you know, a real, um, good book on theology and you're like, 
Uh, there's one here from N.T. Wright. I guess I'll maybe think that one. <laughs> That's Paul's favorite author, by the way. No, it's no, he's not. No, he is not. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> so I know you, you wanted to ask this question, so I'll just go ahead and ask it. Um, who are the gods referred to in Psalm 82? Well, in Psalm 82, it's the judges of Israel. What about John 10 there, Paul? Man, you, you nailed that perfectly. <laughs> I hate you, dude. <laughs> Why? I just... Oh, sorry. <laughs> you just flipped that on me. I did? Okay. Um, yeah, you did. Sorry. No, you don't have to apologize. That was, <laughs> that was just funny. Um, <clears throat> okay, so I'll, I'll just read from a, a, a classwork that I had. Um, when Jesus spoke those words in, in John 10 to the Pharisees, they were accusing him of blasphemy for claiming that he was God. So Jesus meant that his essential unity with the Father, and the Jews took that to mean what it meant that Jesus was God. So they took stones up to kill him. And because Jesus revealed himself as the one true God. If that claim were not true, it, it would have been blasphemy, of course. But Jesus, count, he, he counters that by using Psalm 82, 6, which uses the Hebrew word Elohim, which refers to, it can refer to multiple, to a, a number of things, God, uh, false gods, angels, and also humans. In this case, it refers to uh, the Pharisees as judges. Uh, God is the supreme judge, and when he gives someone his law on earth, that person acts in a certain sense as God, just like uh, Moses was as God to Aaron, and Aaron was his prophet. It's a similar fashion that, that, that works here. So in this case, the law was given to the Sanhedrin, to the, to the Jews that were called little g gods, quote unquote. So if the works, because the... The whole context here of John 10 is about good works from Christ, his miracles, his holiness, his righteousness, um, contrasted with the um, works of the flesh of the Pharisees and, his, and their made-up, man-made religion. So if the works that the Jews were doing were completely opposite to God's um, <clears throat> and, and to Christ, of course, they would be the, the, the devil's children, as Christ calls them and. I think it's in that very chapter, or chapter 8, if I'm not wrong. So if, if God calls them, I mean, if God calls them gods by giving them his law and them acting like judges, why do they reject Christ, um, whose works were absolutely perfect, when he called himself the Son of God, why do they want to stone him if their works, and God calls them gods in Psalm 82, their works were evil? And they, they still have the, the, the quote-unquote honor of God calling them little g-gods because they, they uh, expound the law here on earth on that time. So if Christ's works were absolutely perfect, and they were, why are they trying to stone him for absolutely imitating and obeying his father? That's, that's the whole context in um, John 10. I don't know if I made any sense there. Yeah. Does anyone want to add anything before we wrap it up to that question? I think you nailed it, Paul. Yeah, he covered it. Yeah, this is kind of random, but I just felt uh, apparently there's a 6.9 earthquake here. Yeah, I heard. I oh, was getting some DMs from that. Yeah. yeah, well, it was 
it was way up north from me, but I, I still felt it. Felt it. Wow. Yeah. Somebody uh, just posted. I heard it was seven point seven. Seven point seven. Posted yeah, on Instagram great. that uh, give it twenty four hours and you'll start seeing memes about Jesus coming quick. <laughs> Man. Well, by the way, I was in an in, in an eight point eight, so I I know how scary and strong they can be. Oh yeah. That's that's frightening, man. Yeah, I thought I was gonna die. Yeah, we, it's it's the scariest thing. But yeah. I know there's gonna be memes about Jesus coming back, but we do need to like be ready. It says be ready for the Son of Man is coming at any point. So we had a uh, earthquake in San Antonio once, and the next day there was a picture of a chair falling over saying we will rebuild. <laughs> that, that's about how oh that's about how how damaging that one was because it rumbled a little bit and that was it oh man yeah um where i live uh an earthquake from 7.2 down from that is just like a little tremor we don't even call it an an, an earthquake i speak spanish here so the words kind of change what we would call earthquake would be anything like 7.5 and up. That's it, it really shakes like strongly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think this is a good point to wrap it up. It's been a pleasure. Any closing words, anyone? Nothing. You can buy your apostle certificate <laughs> from. <laughs> God. Uh, I'll just say. Don't forget your indulgences. Yes. Yeah. Make sure you pay your merit fees. Um, coming yeah, soon. Get married too. Get married too because you, you're not going to be able to form part of the, um, what's that nonsense called? Celestial kingdom. Yeah. <laughs> well, and there's also a new feature coming through Undying Light's Patreon program where you can have a relic shipped to you via Amazon Prime. <laughs> It's a piece For of your the skull low, low cost of a hundred dollars a month. Yeah, it's it's a piece of the uh, skull sancta, which is the the stairs that Jesus climbed to Golgotha, where Martin Luther uh, climbed on his knees. I also contributed a hair of the donkey that got close to the donkey that Jesus rode. <laughs> we actually have uh, Jesus's toenails that he clipped when he was feeding the five thousand. So that's another prize we're going to give away too. Yep. Did you know that that Hitler actually sought to have uh, a piece of wood from Christ's cross and the nails? Yep. Because he he thought that that they had uh, some inherent power in them. Oh, he was. There was this big conspiracy theory that he had the spear of destiny. Yeah. And that's the reason why uh, he was so successful was because he had the spear of destiny. Is the spear of destiny the spear that that went through his side? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That that that's what it's called. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, sounds, Google it, man. There's yeah, some, it sounds like a Star Wars stuff stuff weapon. There, there's yeah. a lot of theories about Hitler and how he handled. They stuff. think he found the Ark of the Covenant and all that, and they still think that there's that that boatload of uh, artwork somewhere down the Antarctic, somewhere that he shipped off. Yeah, a lot well, of things. Reminds me of the Antarctica is the edge of the Earth, and the Earth is flat. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah. I mean, that's what Isaiah says, right? Yeah. Says Jason was going to say something, though. Well, I was just going to say, um, <laughs> that reminded me what you're saying about the, the Hitler stuff. Uh, you know, people say, oh, he had this relic, therefore that's why he was so successful. And he was seeking out these things. It reminded me of that quote. Um, I forget who said it, but it's like, many men have tried to become God, 
or gods, and only one God became man, and that's Jesus. Mm-hmm. And that's that's like just the facts of it, that Christ became a man to save us, and then many people try to go the other way around and work their way up, Tower of Babel style, to God. And yeah. But yeah. I saw a quote, I think, yesterday. I've read it before, but it's, it's a good one. I think Neil Armstrong said it when, when, they, uh, when they went to the moon. I forgot what it said, dude. It was like, it's not, it's not really amazing that man walked on the moon, but it's amazing that God walked on earth. Yeah. Mm. Yes. Yeah. yeah. That's true. Preach. Mm. Well, that was the roundtable three with the guest, Jason. I think it's four. I think it's four. Yeah, that's four. Three or four. I can't count. (laughs) Uh, Featuring Jason. Uh, And you can go check out his work at Daily Reformation Podcast, right? Yep, that's it. And then you know where we are by now, I would imagine. I hope so. So that's going to be it. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.